So I rose to meet the requirements of my job, which in my opinion is what everyone should do if you are in a physical nature position is you should meet the requirements rather than have the requirements be lowered so that you don't get kicked out of the military. Hey, Life Dog Nation, welcome back. Uh, Drew and Alex here. This week, uh, we we decided to look into a an often often underutilized segment of the strength and conditioning industry. We've got Paula, Erica, and Jamie joining us today, and they are actually going to walk through their introductions during the episode, which I know is a little bit unusual for us. But what Alex and I wanted to do was highlight some of the females in the tactical strength and conditioning industry. So all three of these women are strength and conditioning coaches in the tactical space. They've all taken sort of different routes to get to where they're at today. And really what we wanted to do is just kind of shine the spotlight on them and talk about some of the things that they've experienced, uh, some of the highs and lows of being a female in this industry. And I think it ended up being a really cool conversation. Definitely a different format than our average episode, a little bit of round table action here and, and credit to Drew um, both the roundtable format and this particular topic were ones he's been chasing for a little bit. Um, I had my doubts about the logistics of getting five people's schedules all coordinated at the same time to make a roundtable happen, but he pulled it off. Um, and it covers some pretty cool territory. We talk about the career paths they took to get to the tactical strength conditioning world, which were different for all three of them. Uh, some comparisons to their experience in athletics environments, which range everything from from high school to pro. Their experience in male-dominated environments. Newsflash, tactical is not the only male-dominated environment for strength and conditioning. And even a little bit of a riff on gender-specific fitness standards in military environments. So a, a cool range of topics. Some of them they all agreed on. Uh, some of them there were some some competing opinions and different perspectives, and it was a cool way to hash it out in a group environment. All right, so here's what we're gonna Hold do. On. Oh, Drew. go. Yes. Sorry, this is totally irrelevant. Do you see the drink that he's drinking? Tea. Zevia that he's no, drinking. The drink that I'm drinking. We know you drink tea all the time. Oh, what do you? You're... I just want to. I just want to shit on your aha drink that you bought for everyone. At okay, work. so here story, and you can leave this in, <laughs> Alex. Please, I'd prefer if you do. We had non-sponsored, we, no ad. We had yeah, not sponsored by Aha. There are other carbonated <laughs> flavored waters out there, but who doesn't love TV static? We had. <laughs> <laughs> was it somebody sent me a meme that said it's flavored like my leg falling asleep? Have, which was, have you seen the memes? Wait, the, I got to tell the story. So good. Someone licked a skittle and then put it on the rim. Maybe processed in facilities that also contain kiwis or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. So I a we had a lime. We had a going away party for somebody and I went to the commissary and bought flavored water thinking like everyone loves flavored water. And I grabbed aha. I think I, I think I did that because I had just been on a, a flight maybe earlier in the week and that's all they have. And I, every time we order, you feel like an idiot. Cause like I'll have an aha. <laughs> um, so anyway, I bought four different, is it four different flavors? It was a lot. There's a lot. And of they're all was, left in the fridge. So I still drink them. Um, I got ripped apart for like people acted like they never seen him before. And so now, I mean, clearly Erica continues to give me grief. Oh, excuse me. LaCroix over here. We have <laughs> Jamie with the LaCroix. Uh, forgive me. I'm a lowly commissary shopper. Someone goes to target. Um, so I just want to throw that out there for the people. Like I think a ha is totally fine. Totally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Apparently not. Like apparently not here. I'm just going to keep. Well, yeah, we can, we can do a flavored water poll on the Instagram later. Good. Now you're going to have to do that. Um, water, yay or nay? Yay. This, sure. I don't even count this as flavored water, though. This is like stevia soda. Stevia is the equivalent. Like that is to flavored water. What like the strawberry hard candies that only old church deacons have is to the candy world. Like no <laughs> one's buying that stuff, Alex, except for you. <laughs> yes, I do. That's the best kind. And Erica. <laughs> mm. Okay, before we get too far down an unsponsored rabbit hole of flavored water, let's do this because there's three of you guys, three different voices. Let's go alphabetically. So what is that? Erica first, and then Jamie, and then Paula. (laughs) How to go through the alphabet. Good job, Drew. Thank you. Introduce yourself so people know your name and your voice, and then run through your background and how you got to where you're at. Ready? Erica, go. You're first. 
and go. Okay, my name is Erica Mansuray. I came from a different background as far as I didn't go straight into strength and conditioning. My degree is actually in sports management. And the route I wanted to take with that was actually working within an athletic department and eventually being an assistant athletic director. That was ultimately what I wanted to do. And I wanted to do that because back in my high school, I had a phenomenal um, athletic director and she was a, uh, the women's basketball coach. I just kind of really looked up to her and admired her and everything that she did. So I worked in athletics for the last five years and high school athletics is a different beast. But while I was working, probably in my, into my second year, my boss was actually um, the women's basketball coach. And at the high school I went to, there was no strength and conditioning. Every team, whether they wanted to or not, they, if they wanted to weightlift, they weightlifted with some made up program. If they didn't, they just didn't weightlift. There was no consistency, but she asked me to do it for the women's basketball team. So for the last four years of working there, I worked with her and her team year round. And then the last year there, I actually got asked by one of their rival schools to assist the strength coach there with um, their soccer and volleyball team. And I think it was that turning point. It was that last year when I was asked to work with that the two teams is when I ultimately decided like this is what I want to do because these these were a different breed of kids. I don't know, I don't know what their parents fed them or or what, but these were dedicated, motivated respectful, great kids um, to work with. And I know it's not like that everywhere you go, but that ultimately is what seared me away from athletics and into the strength and conditioning realm. And then fast forward, um, as far as working with the Army, um, doing strength and conditioning, I moved from Cincinnati back in June. Um, I left the high school. My husband's in the military. So I was kind of looking for a job. And he's like, hey, you should look up H2F, see what it's all about. Because he didn't really know too much about it, but his unit did have it. I did. I sent my resume out, hoping it would land in the right hands of somebody. And for six months, it kind of got passed around, ultimately ended up into the right hands. And I got um, a response back and an offer literally the day before I moved down to North Carolina. So timing everything all worked out with that. Boom. I have quite well, I'll ask them later because I have follow on questions about some of that stuff, but we'll come back to it. Jamie. Hello, Jamie Laffler here. But my background is also not your typical strength coach background. Uh, I started as an athletic trainer, and it was actually back in high school when I first started. Uh, I was legit just walking down the hallway, blah, blah, blah. and our high school athletic trainer was in the hallway. He's like, hey, do you do any after school activities? I said, no. He's like, cool. Do you want to be an athletic trainer? I say, yeah, sure. Uh, so I legit just went to the athletic training room after school that day. And I started athletic training, did all the sports in high school, whatever. Went to undergrad for athletic training. Didn't start working out at all until I was 20. I'm 32 now, just FYI, guys. Um, <laughs> and then I went to grad school as a GA athletic trainer. Uh, did a year out at San Diego State. Uh, two years at ASU. And during that time is when I started to get more involved in the weight room. Um, of course, as an AT, you have to do coverage, you know, when your team is lifting, you're there in the weight room with them, you know, watching whatever. Um, and I just, you know, got interested in strength conditioning. But what I also really didn't like was how the standard college athletic trainers um, viewpoint on injuries was, oh, yes, yeah, because they had bad form in the weight room. Oh yeah, it's because of the lifts they were doing. Oh yeah, it's because the coach isn't having them do stuff right. And really it was just that the athletic trainers didn't know what they were talking about and just, you know, easy blame is put on the other parties, right? So when I was at ASU, I started to get more and more involved in the weight room, what was going on there, what our coach was programming, et cetera. Um, and while I was there as well, I kept having people be like, you should really look into exos. Your values, um, really seem to follow what they preach. They, you know, being in Tempe at ASU, the headquarters is super nearby just up in North Phoenix. So when I finished at ASU, I did my internship with, um, exos at the headquarters there in Phoenix, um, as sports performance coach, killed it, loved it. So much fun. Um, then I got a position with them out at our Dallas facility. So I was there for about six and a half years working with every kind of athlete under the sun.
from pro bowlers to 10 year old baseball players to five trips to China um, to coach over there. Uh, Secret Service, skateboard Olympians, like just everything under the sun. And it was awesome. But I worked all the time and really did not get paid well. Um, so I didn't have a life for like my all of my 20s. Um, and from there, I was like, okay, well, I've been in Dallas for six years and it's not somewhere I wanted to put roots down. So I was like, at this point, I got a shit. You're going to have to get off the pot, you know? So a coworker of mine, he came into the office one day. He's like, hey, I'm moving to Seattle. And I was like, shut up. I had literally just submitted an application to UW as an SNC because I was trying to get back west from Phoenix. And he's like, yeah, there's way more positions you should apply as well. Clearly talking about H2F at JBLM. Um, Excess had a contract. So we were intercompany. It's not the right word, but we were just transferring over within the company. Yeah, I moved up to Seattle and started working with the Army um, via H2F. Was up there for just a little bit over a year. And then about two months ago, I moved down to Phoenix. So I'm back home now. I'm working with the Air Force on their occupational support team, which is quite different than what we experience with the Army. But yeah, that's my, uh, that's my whole story. Beautiful. Paula, last but not least. Hello. Uh, I'm Paula. I am a strength and conditioning specialist currently working with Air Force Special Warfare. A little bit about my background is I'm more of your traditional strength and conditioning. My bachelor's is actually in psychology and nutrition, and I was kind of hoping to go do something in athletics, but I didn't know just what. Um, and then I got my master's in exercise physiology. And kind of how I got into strength and conditioning is I started in the collegiate setting, loved what I was doing, but I hated the environment. Was not a fan. The people I worked with, the athletes I worked with, the facilities I worked with, the hours I worked with, but at the end of the day, I was still feeling pretty fulfilled in what I was doing in the relationships I was building. And out of nowhere, I actually got to meet some people in the military. And even before then, I had no idea what human performance was or the fact that strength and conditioning and optimizing human performance was a field outside of collegiate or pro sports. So when I heard about that being a possibility, with my just natural desire of being in the military, because I've always kind of contemplated like, oh, should I commission? Would that be a good thing to do? But I like the stability of being close to family and knowing where I'm going to be at certain times. So when I found out that was a possibility, I was like, that's perfect. But now the issue was I had zero connections to the military and I didn't even know where to start. So I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I actually met an athletic trainer that worked with a unit that was in town. And so I begged her to get me on base and I went on base and let and behold, I walk into this small little garage looking gym. And I was like, this is amazing. That gym was sweet. Oh, just wait. I'm talking about the smaller gym. Okay. 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 And we were there for a couple of hours and she said, you know what? You seem to be really interested. Let me take you to the active duty unit. So let and behold, <laughs> I actually go into Drew's old unit where he started out and I felt like I had walked into a dream. I never even knew I had, I walked into this facility and I was like, this is exactly where I want to be. So we walk into this Batman cave looking office and I'm expecting some bigger, bald mustache looking guy in sweatpants as a strength coach. Cause that's all I had met up until there. And it was Drew Hammond, Total opposite. <laughs> which is not bold have any facial hair. Yeah, I can't grow a mustache and I have hair. <laughs> and he just looks like this young crossfitty looking dude. So I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, this is nothing like I've ever seen before. So uh, we kind of bonded over some of the books he had on his bookshelves. I asked him a ton of questions and it seems like we had a lot of the same coaching philosophy. So I was like, I want to be this guy when I grow up. So before I even left his office, I was like, do you need an intern? Can I just come watch, ask you questions, learn? At this point, I had zero experience in tactical and very minimal strength and conditioning. So it was kind of a, a new chapter even before I started my career. 
So I was there for about a year. Then from there, I kind of dabbled into the CrossFit setting. I dabbled into H2F. I dabbled back into where I am now, which is active duty pararescue. And I am now in the old shoes of Mr. Drew Hammond. Same cage. Same cage. Somebody's going to walk in expecting like a fat, bald, mustached strength. And see Paula. <laughs> so funny story, funny story. And this might be like a great kickoff point is that's exactly been the case. And I've gotten some extremely disrespectful introductions because of it. Because you're not fat, bald and wearing sweatpants. Because guys will walk in thinking they own the place and they're like, who the f- heck are you? <laughs> like you're, you run this place seriously. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's me. It's all me. <laughs> Well, no, but it's led to some eye-opening discussions for sure. Well, okay, let's fine. Let's take that kicking off point then. And so I'll ask the three of you guys as a female. And again, I, we mentioned like pre-recording, I would repeat a lot of the same things I asked. So as, as a female in a largely male industry, specifically a lot of men with dealing with a lot of like just ego, insecurity, whatever you want to call it alpha male macho type personalities have you and they don't need to be specific examples unless you want to give them but is is that a stigma that you have butted up against whether you you fit the mold like you mentioned or not how has that been maybe a good thing versus a bad thing i realize that there's a lot of questions packed within this but i think that's a good like you mentioned paula kicking off point so kick it off for me it's definitely been different within the different settings when i was at exos from my athletes, it was always different. Athletes coming from college tend to be used to having women around, whether it's athletic trainers, the physical therapists, or the dietitians, like always female. Um, so from them, there wasn't really any disrespect, um, especially when you see me in the weight room lifting and I can lift alongside you. That's, that's a really big key. Where I ran into a lot of issues would be uh, when we would host courses or if I go to a course and the question is always, so like say we're at Exos, I was at Exos hosting a course, whatever, we'll just say it was a, an FMS one. The question would always be, oh, are you the physical therapist? <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm not a physical therapist. Oh, you're the athletic trainer. Oh, that's no, I'm not. Oh, are you an intern? No, I'm I've been coaching here for six years. Like now nah, I'm a strength conditioning coach. Thank you very much. Are, are you an asshole? Okay. You are. Okay. Got it. <laughs> but when I got to the army, I really didn't have any issues when it came to being looked at different because I was a woman. Uh, and I was very, very uh, surprised is the right word. I was pleased um, to be welcomed in that sense. The, the biggest interaction that I had that was, had me you know, annoyed was one of my first sergeants. It was me and my co-coach, co-coach was male, and it was my battery, so my section that I was going over the programming with them. And the first sergeant afterwards came to ask us questions. And instead of looking at me, it was my program, my battery, whatever. He was looking at the male coach who, yes, we are all in charge of the same people, but the male coach coached down in a different footprint. But this first sergeant directed all of his questions at the male coach. I was answering all of them, every single one, but every question and every eyesight went to the male coach. And uh, so we walk out. And I said to my co-coach, I said, dude, did you realize that he didn't look at me once? And the sad part was my co-coach was like, huh, you're right. <laughs> he didn't. I'm like, you didn't notice like, during this whole conversation. It was like when, when you go to a car dealership and it's a woman and a man, doesn't matter who's looking for the car, the dealer is always going to talk to the male because that's how it is. Um, so it's, it's, it's all different. Um, it's all definitely situational. It's really hard to make generalizations from my side of things. Um, and then once I got over to the air force, I haven't, I have not had one offhanded remark or been looked at funny or treated differently. There also seems to be a lot more women in the air force from, from what I can tell so far. So yeah, the military has been way less of a, of an issue is more so strength coaches coming into my space 
and thinking I was the PT or the AT or the dietitian. But I, yeah, I haven't really had too many, too many issues. I would go, I would fall back on that too. The only issue that I've honestly had, and it's when I first started, was I was in a room with the ATs. And because I was a female, I was automatically considered, are you one of the ATs? And for the longest time, our physical therapist thought I was an AT for probably like my first month of working there. And that wasn't anything super frustrating for me. I sat with literally the other three ATs. We were all kind of hired together. But now I sit in a room with seven other male strength coaches. So I get to hear all the fun stuff. Um, But following back to what you said, I really have not experienced anything disrespectful anything out of the ordinary I've had people ask me for programming that I had access to these seven other guys and they're great at what they do but I mean I, I honestly can't complain it's definitely not what I expected I don't know why but I went in here expecting way worse but I I, I like the people I work with and I've, I've felt pretty respected the entire time I'd say I've had pretty good experiences going off of what the other two have mentioned for me working with my athletes they've always been extremely respectful and they kind of know that I've been hired for my subject as a subject matter as- expert any kind of interaction or communication that I've taken the wrong way for the most part has come from some kind of leadership director or superior role and I really think that's just because of older old school mindset so for the most part, I am extremely lucky with the people I work with. And if usually most of my guys, if they say anything that could be considered rude, it's kind of like a, you hit them back and they shut up real quick. So they kind of know, they kind of know what flies and what doesn't. But as far as leadership, it's also like the, okay, you're expected to sit down and don't ask questions, just sit down and listen. But that could also just be because I'm a very bold, outspoken person. So that could go either way. I'll ask kind of the flip side of that question. Cause that was like the, have you run into any issues version of the question? I think, and this is coming from like my experience, kind of having an army career before doing this, there's a cultural shift happening in military fitness and things like that towards like demanding things that a lot of women didn't train for before. And that's by causing them to seek out communities that can help them seek out advice from people, things like that. Do you think having women on the team and specifically the strength and conditioning team has like led some of those women to like find better answers than they were finding before? Do you get sought out specifically by female soldiers or is that not really a thing? They don't really care either way. I've personally experienced it. Like my first week there, I was walking down the walkway and someone asked me if I was a runner. I've never run for a sport in my life. Other, I played basketball, but like I was, I'm not a runner, but she asked me, she just approached me right there in crossing and asked to train her up for some school that she went to. And I apologize. I don't have a military background other than my husband. So like, if you use any sort of letters and words that I don't know, I'm I'm not going to know. Drew Drew knows this. I was going to say, I can, I can vouch for this. I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what school she went to, but um, he just approached me like that. And I also, um, I do P3T too for, for 44th Med. And it, it started out being three males and me. And one of the questions they asked the girls were, what are some changes that you would like to see? And they asked for me and then they, well, they asked for me and I wasn't going to do it every single week. So I rotate with one guy, but I think that they feel more comfortable with women. Um, I've experienced it a little bit. I've gotten more people to that have never even worked out. Just ask me that approach me over the guys just because they're guys. And that's just a stigma, but um, I've definitely experienced that a little bit. I think women are just more approachable in general. Um, it doesn't matter if we're talking about strength conditioning, athletic training, or physical therapy. From my experience, athletes, anyone, excuse me, athlete soldiers, approach the females more, regardless of if they're female or if they're male. Some of it might be like the mama bear, you know, you're just used to being comforted by a woman more so. But it really doesn't matter what setting I've been in, athletes and soldiers excuse me, tend to gravitate toward, toward the females. And it doesn't even matter if like that female provider is a kind person or not. That's just what I've seen. Now, when it comes to like my soldiers or airmen, there was really no difference between um, if it was a male or female and them coming up to me and ask questions. It really just came down to how I interacted with them, how much I showed I cared about them 
um, how much I gave a shit and, you know, wanted to be there. And that really seemed to be the biggest difference between who they approached. My co-coach was a male, stated that already. Wonderful coach, great dude. But even if like we were in the office together and a soldier he, who he worked with more came in, they usually looked at me first, even if like David's going to help you anyway, but they would typically come to me. And a lot of that was because I am a female and just more approachable. I ask it kind of because I've seen this like flocking to social media networks to try and solve some of these questions. And uh, the first wave, like when the ACFT first came out for the army, there was a huge wave of like Facebook pages assembling of like training for the ACFT. And then the second wave was a bunch of like women specific training for the ACFT pages. And I obviously have not been on the women's ones, but I like hear from people who were on them and I have been on the general ones. I've been blocked on several of them because like absolute garbage information is being put out in these places. And I'm kind of hoping that by like inserting approachable women into these spaces that we can get like slightly better information from people rather than like migrate to these places. And I know you had something to say too, Paula. But also red flag training is probably going to be the same for women and men for the ACFT. (laughs) They get the same test. What what was being said on the women's? What different, like what was so different or bad about it? Don't lay on your stomach. Like, first off, I don't, I don't know in detail. It's like, first of all, if it made it to me, it was going to be some of like the craziest stuff. Cause it was something somebody decided to like screenshot and share or whatever. They wouldn't do that if it was the normal content. Most of, most of what they ended up sharing were like the fights where like really high ranking women were like going out of their way to try and kill the change to the ACFT. Oh, I remember this. Cause it was like horrible and sexist and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There is, there is a, like a tremendous amount of pushback from from really senior women in uniform. Actually, that so, so that talk about that for a second. Please, because I think I was going to ask the question that you're going to answer. Just like <laughs> testing in general. Uh, yes. Thank if you. <laughs> you can't pass the test, you don't have business being there. I don't care if you're a man. I don't care if you're a woman. I don't care how tall you are. Like, if you're not strong, you're not strong. It's it's literally that simple. Height and, and weight drives me crazy. There's a lot of height weight. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me cage this in a question because I think this is, I didn't even think about this as a talking point, but gender gender based testing, and it doesn't have to just be the ACFT. I'm curious as to you guys' thoughts because you're all strong, fit, capable. Where do you sit on that spectrum? Well. For something like the military, right? We're, we're, what we're talking about now. If your job is to save people, right? I have to make sure I am physically capable to save people. So for me, it's more of a question of what is your MOS and what are the requirements for your MOS as opposed to what are your requirements as a male or a female? When I, as Jamie, when I realized I needed to get stronger to do my job properly, I was an intern. So this is 2015. And I like never did upper body, like only did lower body, didn't like doing upper body because I wasn't strong upper body. So I just didn't do it because I was bad at it. Right. And there was one day I was asked, hey, go work with this return to play athlete, really big, strong dude. He was an offensive defensive lineman. Patriots, Pro Bowl, or whatever, whatever. And so I go over, and he's doing incline bench, right? About 110 pound dumbbell. And I'm like, I'm not strong enough to spot this guy. So I was just asked by my coach, hey, Jamie, go work with him. I was also an athletic trainer. Um, You know, he's returned to play, go, you know, spot him, take him through his lip. And so I had to go ask for help. I had to be like, hey, I can't safely spot this man. Like I need you to help me because you're a male and you're stronger than I am. And that was my problem. So I started doing upper body and I can now safely spot a guy doing 110 pounds, single arm dumbbell and climb bench. Right. So I rose to meet the requirements of my job, which in my opinion is what everyone should do. If you are in a physical nature position is you should meet the requirements rather than have the requirements be lowered so that you don't get kicked out of the military. 
I'll argue that that applies beyond just women for a second too. Because no, we yes, keep yes, on yes, adjusting. Yes, yes, it does. It does. It does. Thank you. We got a lot of men complaining about physical requirements too. And it, they I think you just had a lot of whatever. people complaining. Yeah, that's true. About stuff. Go ahead, Paula. Well, a couple of things there. One, 100%, I agree with Jamie. It should be dependent on your occupation, but also coming from a quote unquote special operations unit. I get this a lot as to should women, do women deserve to be in the special ops community? And I always tell them our standard is the same despite on gender, height, and weight. And I 100% stand by that. If you belong there, you're gonna rise to those standards, regardless of your gender, your size, your height, how well you sleep, you eat, all of that jazz. That has nothing to do with gender. They're, they're standards for a reason. So when it comes to things like the ACFT, I do think either one, it needs to be divided by job or it does require some kind of titration so that it can apply to everybody. Because while I was in H2F, we had girls that were very petite in size, 90 pounds for the sled drag carry was probably more, way more than her body weight. So is it really reasonable to have them test these events, even though it's unrealistic? And yes, her job could be life or death. But that wasn't her MOS either. So why should she need to pass a certain standard if her job requirement doesn't call for it? The slipperiest of slopes, that argument. I think you're, I don't think you're, I don't think you're wrong. Weight, right. That are failing, but they're also strong as shit. So it's almost like, well, now these people have consequences or getting threatened to get kicked out because they're not passing, but yet they're also the strongest and best performers of their team. I want to ask this question and I don't, it's, it's weird in a military setting maybe, but you hear it a lot, especially in, I mean, I'm just thinking of my own kind of trajectory, a lot of female sports where you get into conversation, specifically height, weight, body image type stuff. Is that something that you guys as strength coaches specifically have felt you've needed to deal with this idea of fitting a certain image? If that makes sense. I see Jamie aggressively nodding her head. <laughs> <laughs> like that we need to work, that we need to look the part. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the angle I'm coming from here is I, I think about myself, like stepping into my, the role, my first role as a strength coach, there is this expectation that you do, you need to be strong enough, fit enough, not necessarily the biggest guy in the gym, but like there's an expectation. And so I guess the question for you guys is as, as females, what is that? look and or feel like so you got to pass the look test right that's first impressions are huge it doesn't matter how much you might know you have to in my opinion you have to walk the talk got to talk the talk yeah but you also have to do what you preach which involves being in shape if that's what you expect of the people you're training and coaching and if that's what you're preaching then you in my opinion need to live that same life having been in athletics basically my whole career and being surrounded by professional athletes who tended to be male and jacked and six four and just you know five percent body fat Clearly, I should not compare myself to an outside linebacker in the NFL, but of course I did. You know, why wouldn't I? So I expected the same thing of myself. And from there, it's like, I know what I'm capable of. I know what dedication and discipline and grit and work ethic are. And I hold myself to an extremely high standard and I'm going to continue doing so because anything less than what I know I can lift, what I can, you know, body fat percentage, like what I can be, I'm going to hold myself to that standard because I know I can do it. When I drop down from that, so if I'm eating too many cookies or if I'm not doing my cardio enough or if I'm, you know, just being lazy, that that's on me. That's because I'm not holding myself to that standard and my discipline has, has dropped. Does that also mean I'm too hard on myself? Yeah, probably. But again, I know what my potential is and I want to fulfill that potential. 
So some of that is, yes, uh, directed by my environment and, and outside of myself, but a lot of that is just internal drive from me wanting to, to be my best. I agree with that. Um, I also like a good example would be you're not going to go to a nutritionist that's 300 pounds and ask for macros from them. But you would go to a fat chef. They cook good. <laughs> they eat They eat good. They cook good. <laughs> um, Sorry. But no, I think you do, especially I, I don't know if necessarily matters being female and like making sure you look the part. I think it's it goes the same way for for guys. You can't have some scrawny little Joe Schmo coming in here and being like, I'm your strength coach and they weigh hundred pounds soaking wet. Unless you're a cross country coach. <laughs> yes, correct. Cross country coaches are, uh, coaches are acceptable. Um, but I also think looking the part helps provide buy-in that you need oh so much from the army and the different units that you work with. Because if I just strolled in there, my I'm five, two, my five, two stature, just walking over there and I program all this stuff and I'm making them do all this hellacious stuff. And I don't look like I can do it, then they're going to question my credibility. So I think it does play a decent part of it, but I don't think it's a whole piece. I'll throw it out there. I almost don't want to be the strongest person in the room. And the reason I say that is because I want to be in an environment that's going to force me to level up. Um, And that's one of the reasons I love my unit now. I walk in there every day and I feel like I have to earn my spot. And piggybacking off of Jamie and Erica is one, it creates buy-in. One, yes, look the part, it's going to create credibility, but also having the guys or the soldiers that you're working with know that you also put in your part and you're just as gritty as they are also creates like a sense of camaraderie and helps build a culture that you're setting yourself to the same standard that you're coaching and that you're preaching. So one, I think it's a challenge, but also you need to know that don't be about it. Talk or what is it? Don't talk about it. Be about it. It's very beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. I just recently heard that one. Um, <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's the episode title. Don't talk about it. Be about it. <laughs> Don't talk about it. Be about it. And this is actually something that I kind of had to learn the hard way because when I walked in as an intern into Drew's unit, I couldn't spot guys that were squatting 400 pounds. I couldn't. I felt like I didn't deserve the right to critique someone if I wasn't as strong as they were. And I kind of had to come to that realization that at the end of the day, these guys don't care how much I lift. I I hardly ever get asked how much I'm squatting or benching or deadlifting, but they also see it for their own eyes, right? They come in at lunchtime and I'm grinding, have the music on loud. They kind of know like, oh shit, she's going just as hard as we were this morning or we'll work out together on weekends or at squadron wads. And so they kind of know you're also putting in your part. So that kind of answers all of their doubts and all their questions. It's not like a, you're a strength coach, but we never see you work out. That's also a little sketchy. So also looking from the outside, it's like, okay, you kind of have to, kind of have to give them something, right, to work with. Do you guys feel, as a follow-on to this, do you feel that being a female strength coach, requ- I don't want to say requires, but almost requires a little bit more to create that buy-in, or have you found that that's not really an issue? In terms of, do you feel you have, you have to go the extra mile? You do have to work out in front of people more often. You do have to like make the case that you know more. Do you feel that you have to do a little bit extra to quote unquote, prove yourself if, if yeah, that makes sense? 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Really? Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Discuss. Um, <laughs> um, so that with that part, what I've uh, had to work around more is me being called too assertive or too aggressive or that I'm arrogant. That's, that's what I've had to deal with the most. Uh, <laughs> I see Paula and I know that, I know that Paula has had this same thing thrown at her and I'm rude. Going. I'm condescending. Oh, yeah. if I, so it's more so character traits. It's more so character traits. Uh, it's not like, I, we don't even have to talk about the physicality of things right now. It, this is and this is just a woman in the world. This isn't a coach. This isn't like it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Being a, a strong, independent, outspoken female, you get treated way differently than if you are a strong, independent, outspoken male because it's it's 
the misogynistic society that we're in. Thank God we're in America. Like we could be over in a country where I am not allowed to show my skin, you know? So like there are some really great things about being here, but we're still not equal in my world uh, view. I think that's interesting specifically in an industry that's like known for guys being super loud and aggressive and guys being dudes and yelling at people and like slamming weight around and playing loud music and like specifically leaning into the aggression and leaning into the assertiveness and all of that stuff. Making Instagrams about it. Yet in that environment, like women are even more critiqued for the exact same thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being what we could call an, an alpha female is it's really difficult, honestly. It's like one thing that I have to tell myself, but was really big on telling my female interns was, you know, you are allowed to take up space. Like you have just as much of a right to take up space as anyone else in this room. And another huge one, and this is something that, again, for me, I really had to work on, not not in my current position, um, but was that I should not make myself less or belittle myself to make other people comfortable. And that was a huge thing that I had to deal with in previous roles was keeping my mouth closed or going along with things because that's what the men said they wanted to do. And if I were to speak up and say something, oh, no one thinks that. Oh, no, why would you say that? Or just like, well, this is my opinion. And I know other people have these opinions. They're not choosing to share it. I am an outspoken individual, so I'm going to share it. And do I care if you're upset with me or if you talk at me in a negative way? No, I don't care because I know I'll be fine. But that's like those two things have been really huge when it comes to mentoring other women is, you know, you're allowed to take up space and you should, and, you know, don't make yourself smaller to make other people comfortable. And really that's kind of being a a woman in today's society from what I've experienced. That's probably why I haven't experienced that. I'm not, I'm very non-confrontational, very to myself, passive aggressive. I'm very... I'm very low key. So that's probably why we haven't had that same experience with that. I will say, Drew, answering the initial part of the question, I don't feel like it's the physicality part that, at least speaking for myself, I've had to work harder at. But I will say I had to work really hard to build up my confidence to tell guys like, hey, man, I can't spot you, but homie over here can or like, hey, I can't spot you, but here's how you safely bail. I feel like also in those kinds of skills, I definitely had to level up because I was like, okay, I can admit to myself I'm not that strong, but can I tell them I can't do this part or said thing? I wonder if, I mean, the aggressive outspoken component, and I know from personal experience with with Paula, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit. Like, do you feel that you're perceived that way because like you're a female having an opinion or do you think it's because you're just actually an outspoken i guess the better way to phrase that is if if two people if if a guy was standing next to you saying the exact same thing do you think that Drew, person you tell would me am perceived? i the drama <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yes sometimes yes paula is the drama but i think a lot of it too from what i've seen reason. yeah exactly is that you do almost oh she's way too outspoken. She's way too aggressive. But if, it, if a guy said the exact same thing, I don't think it would be perceived the same way. Maybe that's just my own experience with that. But I, I would, I would think that that would be universally, well, maybe not universally, but true. No, that tracks. Mm-hmm. I think it's happened to me in meetings where someone will say something that I'm thinking. And just because it came from a guy, it goes completely unhinged. But if I would have said something, it would have been like, well, why are you calling us out? We could have had this talk somewhere else. Well, I think, again, speaking from personal experience, like when it's when it's two males in strength and conditioning, it becomes a, sometimes it becomes like a friendly debate. Whereas if it's, you know, and I'll use Paula again as an example, I've seen it with Paula where she's going to engage in a debate and it's just shut down because of, oh, this is this short, you know, young female. What is she now? So she knows a lot. So I think Are you that that's, make me unhirable. No, I think you're hot shit. Oh, thank you. But what I want to follow that on with is a rapid fire question. (laughs) You guys can have fun with this one if you want. Have you been mansplained to? All the time. 
but that's just life. That's not, that's not this job. That's just life in general. Eric and I have laughed about this before, which is why I wanted to ask this to you guys. Are you really thinking hard, Paula? I am. Maybe, maybe these things just like, you've never been, do you just, yes, you just not know. <laughs> If, if you need us, if you need us to bar, explain what, yeah, Paula, I can explain, no, no, no. man. Explain it to you. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a direct example because if people try, I'm just going to be like, I know, I know what you're talking about. Just stop, save your breath. <laughs> but I really don't think I've had that experience. Being mansplained. I think people maybe maybe people don't want to. Jamie shocked. <laughs> Jamie, explain mansplaining. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Oh, man. We can explain it to you if we need to. It's just people talking down to you and like it's honest anyway. Uh, have you ever walked into a Home Depot? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. And look, all the places. Uh, I love well, the Home the Depot reference. Why would, why would someone try to mansplain something where I'm the subject matter expert? You know, like if someone's going to try to describe because, aggressive overload to me like why, why would they try to do that yeah because they're men i'm not gonna let them i'm like it's not your place <laughs> see maybe well that yeah, i mean maybe that that's the deeper people. question right like do they just assume you don't know even though you are the subject matter expert and then proceed to mansplain which we can explain to you if we need to i love I that i just don't give them a chance and if they do i'm kind of just like cool what textbook did you swallow <laughs> No, I don't think I have. I mean, I definitely have been talked down to, but not in a like educational manner where people are trying to explain my job to me, if that makes sense. Unless I'm, I'm in the same boat. A whole other discussion. Mine's just a bunch of different random conversations from seven Thank men you. within a confined wall. It's not anything serious. That's awesome. Let me ask you guys this. And, and you, you may have touched on some of this at the beginning when you were kind of walking through your backgrounds, but what is it? What is it about coaching? They kind of led you down this path or wanted you to get into this? Mine was honestly with the females that teams that I work with, like seeing the impact you could have on them. Completely different than the army. Again, I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I got this job um, because it does not translate that much at all. But that's ultimately what got me into it was knowing the, if the, the benefits that I actually had good strength coaches in high school and in college, knowing the effects that that helped me with um, seeing the high school I worked at where these kids didn't have a strength coach and just what they were lacking and being able to provide that somewhere else. Paula or Jamie, we were, we did the alphabetical order thing again. <laughs> Um, I'm a people person to the max. I also have a really hard time sitting still. Um, so the weight room is just great. I get to talk to people all day. I get to move around all day. I get to pick heavy things up all day. Um, but I also just love the whole idea of, of motor learning, of improving, of coming back from injuries, um, of being a little bit better every single day. And, um, when you look at the high performance world, a lot of people who haven't been there are on the outside. They're like, oh yeah, they're professional athletes. Like they're already as good as they're ever gonna be. No, being at like the pinnacle of human performance is so fascinating and enjoyable and watching these guys learn how to move or um, how they respond to different coaching cues and being able to see that motor development happen in front of you is is so much fun within the setting that i'm in now newsflash everyone i literally have not coached since i left seattle two months ago so i'm currently struggling with not doing what i love and having to find other avenues of fulfillment around that. Um, so it's been on relationship building and just interacting with humans and not being able to put my hands on people um, to help assist at ankle dorsiflexion or, you know, a proprioception or, or what have you. And it's, it's been hard. So that makes me realize how important it is for me to actually be in the gym with people and be hands-on and be face-to-face -face and moving and interacting with them um, rather than just the straight communication or let me sit at my laptop and 
write a program or make a PowerPoint. Like that's not what I want to do. Welcome um, to the dark so side. That, that human interaction. Welcome to corporate. Like yeah, you've gone, you've gone corporate. We're, we're working on it. We're getting there. But also, Jamie, I think you are a phenomenal educator. So like shamelessly plug your Instagram because I think it's a phenomenal resource. Thank you, Paula. I appreciate it. Um, we'll, we'll drop it in the show notes. <laughs> women supporting women. <laughs> um, for me, long story short, I think it's extremely empowering. I think... I loved being in the tactical space. I think it's a lot more fulfilling and rewarding than working with athletes because these people aren't necessarily looking to win games. They're looking to just live well. Um, and it sometimes- We also like winning. Yeah, you, winning you gotta matters. You got to win, uh, what is it? Win battles before you win wars, right? So- Oh, beautiful. Small victories. But be, building resiliency and improving physiologically so that you can be the best version of yourself is extremely fascinating. So- empowering, building resiliency. And then I lost the other one, but I'm sure it was a great point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fulfilling. I think it's extremely fulfilling. I, I got one I got to ask, and I could be completely off base here. And this will maybe require Drew to like bring it back around to something more uplifting at the end. Um, I, <laughs> no I do have a question because <laughs> like, all of you guys have experienced the like contractor world, which does have some weirdness in terms of like how you integrate or don't integrate with the culture of the organization you're a part of and things like that. And, and one I've seen brought up a couple of times and for whatever reason, it's only ever like discussed in a negative way that I've seen it when it involves like women working with the military audience, but there, there are prohibitions against fraternization between contractors and service members. And fraternization is not specific to any, like, to like a man and a woman, right? It's like inappropriate, like friendliness outside of work or whatever it is, or like establishing relationships that whatever are not professional. But the only time that ever those like accusations are ever made in a way where it starts to get like serious or disciplinary is when it, it like in the vast majority of times I've seen it brought up, it's because the contractor is a woman and the service member is a man or vice versa. Is that something you have run into where you have to like step carefully around issues like that, where your counterparts who are men might not have to worry about it as much in an environment that's mostly men? That's not just a, that's not just like a H2F contract world. That's from my experience, been any strength conditioning job. Um, there's always no, no fraternization. Um, and a lot of it is to protect the coach. When I was with Exos working with athletes of all ages and, you know, they continuously rotate in, um, there are multiple times where things were said to me that weren't okay, whether it was in person or whether it was on Instagram or an athlete got my number and I had to go to my boss and be like, Hey man, this guy is saying things out loud around other people, like promise nothing's going on. I just want to let you know, like it's not, it's not okay. And whether that be, you know, me having the conversation with the athlete, which has happened before, um, or, you know, me again, going to my boss being like, can you talk to so-and-so like they won't stop saying we went to have a sushi dinner and I went to his place, like absolutely did not happen. Um, and you know, that having been <laughs> addressed, um, or within the tactical setting where we really ran into issues was, um, being invited out to like hail and farewells or, uh, like org days or that kind of of thing where technically anything off post we could not attend because it was fraternization so then you're looking at all right well i continue to be turning down all these opportunities to build more rapport and more relationships with my soldiers or with my unit because my contract says i am not allowed to go to those things or i will be fired like it doesn't have a thing to do with sex at that point it has to do with just no fraternization in general and that affected the male coach just as much as it did me. But of course, we all know it, it tends to come back to relationships um, and preventing those. And you can kind of look at that in the same way as like the issues with officers not being allowed to be friends with enlisted. When I first heard that, I was like, well, that's so stupid. What? But when you build or if you build favoritism toward one person, not the other, like, yeah, you can run into some issues there for sure. 
but when it does come down to the fraternization, it's like, if it's corporate, it's expected, you got to abide by the rules. You know, you can still have really professional relationships with people and, and call them your friends. And that's something that I definitely do. Um, but ultimately it's there to, to protect you. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've had to rely on that multiple times in the past. You guys, for the, for the record, Alex, I don't think that that was too gloomy. I think you did well. I don't need to pull you back I think at that all. That was a great question. <laughs> well worded. This is a broader question. And, and the answer obviously can be yes or no, but do you feel that the industry at large, strength and conditioning, do you feel that that is an industry that supports you guys and has resources available for you guys? Or have you ever felt that that like it caters more broadly to the bald headed mustached sweatpants? How would it cater to them? Well, just through, I mean, I'm thinking really two things. One on the social media side of the industry, it's very heavy in that direction in terms of what it looks like, feels like to be a strength coach. Toward men? Towards men. Yeah. Do you think that's just because men post more? Well, that could be. That's a valid point. Alex Do you take social a lot. media out of it? I think that men and women have the same resources for the most part to to grow or become a better strength coach. And I Perfect. also do think probably post more. Now, Drew, <laughs> I will say this. Okay. So this was a few years back. One of my one of my co-coaches or one of my fellow coaches uh, through Exos, he's been coaching for like probably eight years longer than I have. Great coach. Awesome guy. And he hit me up and wanted to talk about growing his Instagram. And uh, like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll help you out. Well, what it came down to was I am an attractive female who wears leggings and works out barefoot. And that is a large reason that my Instagram is successful. (laughs) Feet pics. So it's for all the guys out there, for all the guys out there. Follow Jamie on Instagram. Like it's true. If you look at my, my analytics, um, once the episode is over, I'm going to need some Instagram. I'm trying to get to 10 K. I'm not there yet. I need to take your shoes off. Start, start taking pictures barefoot, Alex. Drew has commented on it before. I did post like a working out in leggings video one time, but it was on my personal page. It was not on my, so we can never do this again, young man. Uh, but it's true. Like, you know, at the end of the day, sex sells and the posts where I have on less clothes do better. If I'm barefoot, they do better. If it's about take notes, a Alex squat or a lunge <laughs> and you know, I'm in profile. Yeah. It's going to get more likes. Um, now is that something that I exploit? This is not fair. Absolutely not. <laughs> but that being it, said, you know, women, we're, we're not always at a disadvantage. Um, you know, as much as we want to sit here and, and boo-hoo, I'm a female, I'm treated differently. There are upsides to it. Even if I don't want to be viewed as a sexual exploit, um, I can still realize that I have a larger follower base, follower base because of that, which then leads to a lot more opportunities than say a male who's in my exact shoes and just doesn't have the traction in the same way. I'm telling you, Alex, it's the leggings and bare feet that you have to go after. That's an unexplored area. If people notice like a total pivot in my content. (laughs) (laughs) So on Instagram, I'm sorry sorry to talk about social media, but like move you, they have done a beautiful job about showcasing the human body, male and female, not doing it in a sexual way, but you will still see that their popularity is on the post that is the woman about her butt or- you I know, know exactly which posts you're talking about too. Got a little sports bra on. And then the man, when it's his butt that is drawn on, like it doesn't have as many likes. And it's, again, that's that's just our world. The it drawings is. are fantastic though, I will say. The movie job. drawings, we'll drop that in the show notes too, Alex. Yeah, move you. Got it, added. <laughs> All right, let me ask, let me ask a because we're approaching an hour, a broad closer for you guys. And each one of you can throw it in here. Looking back at your your early self, and this doesn't necessarily have to be through the lens of of a female, though you can go that route if you want to. But what were some things or what are some things that you would tell the younger you getting into this industry that you wish you had known or that you think would be helpful? We'll go alphabetical again. Let's go reverse alphabetical. Jamie, you're first. Oh, reverse alphabetical? It's Paula. Wait, Paula's he's not, first. He's right. not good. Is this strength? I have Jamie. Do we need to say our ABCs, Drew? <laughs> this, all right, this is, uh, nice. this is me signing out. See you later. 
Paula, you're first. Good night. <laughs> All right. This is tough. This is, so- <laughs> I promise I was not a paid sponsor, but I'm going to say, find yourself a really good mentor. <laughs> um, I was really lucky to where I felt like I was really patient to kind of find my people within strength and conditioning. Because through my internships, I often joke about it. And I say the only thing I got out of strength and conditioning internships were anxiety. All they did were break me down, terrible experiences. I had just would not recommend to a friend. But when I went to Drew and I met this man, I felt empowered. I felt strong. I felt educated. And so I feel like he truly set me up for success. And then just networking through that internship, I felt like I was able to kind of grow in my own direction, blossom, blossom, if you will. But I think that having a strong mentor can be the big shift between like success and going round the round path. And with that said, I think a second one, if I can squeeze it in there is to network. Like I mentioned at the beginning, like I had no resources into tactical strength and conditioning. But now with things like LinkedIn or the NSEA, H2F, with all of these profiles or Instagram accounts or resources, you could basically DM anybody, man, female, doing exactly what you want to be doing and ask them anything you want. Um, So that's something I wish I would have had from the very start, from knowing I wanted to be in tactical. That would have made a lot of things a lot more easy, but that's okay. I still ended up where I am now. All right, now, based off the alphabet, Jamie, you're next. You sure? (laughs) For me, I think a big thing for me was thinking that I had to be a great coach from like day one. And that is not a thing that happens. It's like when I got into Exos, we have physical therapists, you know, trained coaches, ATs there, whatever. And I was coming in as an athletic trainer. I'd been practicing as an athletic trainer for a while, but I hadn't been coaching. And so now I'm around PTs and amazing coaches. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm an idiot. Like, (laughs) I don't know anything about healing the body, correcting the body. I don't know anything about strength conditioning. Like I am dumb. And that's not the case. Um, You know, it takes time to, to learn. It takes time to build yourself up. It takes time to experience your profession, just like it does the rest of the world. Um, but with that, I definitely should have asked more questions. I should have asked for help more. I should have, um, not been so damn stubborn when it came to, I need to figure it out on my own, where I should have relied on the team around me who they weren't there to belittle me, or they weren't there to judge me. Like they're my team, which meant they're there to help build me up and to make me better. Um, but I really tried to hide a lot of what I didn't know as a young coach, um, and, you know, try and work on those deficiencies in the background rather than just sitting down with someone like Dennis Logan was um, one of my coaches when I first started and picking his brain, brilliant, brilliant man. Um, but instead I was like, Oh God, I don't want him to know what I don't know. Um, whereas I should have just, you know, gone and asked him a question, a really, another really big thing has been. Um, like your, your priorities in life change and it's okay. They should change. You know, as you get older, they're gonna morph. Um, and that's fine. And your priorities, in my opinion, should not be the same all the time. You know, what they are when you're 25 should be different than what they are when you're 30 should be different than when you're 35. I'm not 35 yet. I really don't know, but continuously sitting down and evaluating, okay, where am I at in life? does this align with my priorities? Do I need to focus on where I'm at now? Or do I need to realize that my self-worth is more important than where I'm at right now and look into something that's going to align better with my priorities? So those, those are my two big ones, you know? Yeah. And that's tough to follow. (laughs) Yeah. No pressure. Um, Thanks for reversing the order. (laughs) (laughs) So I would say, um, Two things that I wish that I'm still I'm still kind of new to the industry. So like I can't even speak as like my younger self, but as just like when I first started dabbling into it. Um, imposter syndrome is a very real thing. Drew, you and I have talked about this briefly. Um, but just trusting yourself, trusting what you know, trusting that you'll learn along the way. 
Um, and also one thing that has been actually really helpful with me working with a group of seven other coaches at one time is I'm just a sponge. If I don't know something, I'm going to ask the questions. If, if somebody excels better in, for say, like running form or programming for, uh, I don't know, a powerlifting meet, as opposed to me, I'm going to ask the questions and learn that knowledge that I don't know. Just be vulnerable, learn the information that you don't know. Don't be afraid to ask questions because um, that's only going to help you grow as a coach. Well, as, we, as we're starting to move towards wrapping this thing up, I wanted to say, I don't know, like it wasn't really intentional in terms of how we set this up, but I think it's really cool that we ended up with between the three ladies here, like a traditional career path, some unconventional paths into the career field. We had high school, we had collegiate, we had pro athletics, we had army, we had air force, we had special operations, we had conventional, we had like about as wide an array of different backgrounds and experiences. A few things they kind of all agreed on a few things. There were differences of opinions. It was, I think it was a pretty good representation of a few different perspectives on some of these issues. I like how it worked out. Different preferences know, of that, uh, flavored water. You're the only outlier on the flavored water. I'm going to disagree with that. I think AHA is a strong choice. I think LaCroix is a good second option. And Waterloo, I'm going to throw Waterloo in there as the, um, <laughs> as the third. So, well, guys, thanks for coming on. I know having five talking faces on Zoom can be a little bit of a shock, especially in the evening. So thank you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thank you. Hey guys, it's Drew and Alex here. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Before you go, please rate and review the pod on the listening platform of your choice. You can also visit us on our website at www.mopsinmos.com. That's mops, the letter in mos.com. You can check out the library of podcast episodes, our latest blog entries, any helpful resources, and also sign up for our newsletter. Drew nailed it. Um, just to underline a couple of things, the podcast entries have in-depth show notes on the website. So if you missed anything or you want to read any of the research we talk about, it is all there. You can, at the bottom of the website, sign up with your email and receive future updates from us. The blog posts go a little bit more in depth and kind of written form on a couple of topics we get questions about all the time. But most importantly, I just want to ask all you guys, our best way the word gets out is absolutely word of mouth. So tell your friends, tell the people you work with, anybody you think would find it useful. Thanks for spreading the word. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at either Drew or Alex at mopsandmos.com. Or there's a contact form on the website. Thank you.